Known for his unique ability to simplify profound truth so that it can be applied to everyday life, Adrian Rogers was one of the most effective preachers, respected Bible teachers, and Christian leaders of our time. Thanks for joining us for this message. Here's Adrian Rogers. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We want to pitch our mental thoughts around this wonderful, wonderful verse. The title of our message tonight is taken right from the verse, and the title of the message is The Word of God. May I tell you, dear friend, that there are many words for this word. Sometimes we call it the Bible. Sometimes we call it the Holy Scripture. Sometimes we may call it God's revelation. And we would be correct in calling it all of these things. But do you know what God's favorite name for the Bible is? It is simply this, the Word of God. Now, don't endeavor to turn to the following verses because I'm going to read a number of verses very quickly to you, and these would be only some of hundreds of verses in the Bible that speak of the Bible as the Word of God. But just listen to these. They'll bless you. Mark 7, verse 13, Jesus spoke of those who made the Word of God of no effect through their tradition. Luke 5, verse 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the Word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Acts 4, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 12 and verse 24, But the Word of God grew and multiplied. Hebrews Excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Colossians 1, verse 25. Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4, verse 5. Our Lord is speaking of our food, and He says, For it is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And then 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Now, whether these words were in the mouths of the apostles, whether these words were in the mouths 
uh, are in the mouth of Jesus, or whether these words were spoken by the Old Testament prophets and recorded on parchment and scroll, no matter what, over and over God calls these inspired utterances the Word of God. Now you say, Adrian, that's self-evident. Who cares what you call it? I mean, what difference does it make? Why would you read all of those scriptures just to, to make one little insignificant point that God likes to call the Bible the Word of God? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the more liberal a man gets in his theology, the less he likes to call the Bible the Word of God. Now, if you'd studied theology, you would find that would be true. Uh, men who, who take a liberal view of the Bible, they call it the biblical records or the biblical materials or the record of God's revelation. And that's, it all sounds so good, but my dear friend, that fuzzes the issue just a little bit and it takes it one half step away from what it really is. Get it in your mind, big and plain and straight, it is the Word of God. Now, when you say it is the Word of God, as Hebrews 4.12 says, then that means some things. There's some things that must, must follow. For number one, if it is the Word of God, that means it must have absolute perfection. Now you think, here's the logic. If it's the word of man, maybe some error. But a God of truth cannot speak error. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that means that all scripture is God breathed. It is given by inspiration of God. And a God of truth cannot inspire error. Well, you say, Adrian, if it is the Word of God, was it not written down by human beings? Of course it was. But that makes it nonetheless the Word of God. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And as we've told you before, this word moved means born along as a ship would be born along with wind in its sails. These writers of the Old Testament prophecies had their sails up. And even though God used human instrumentality, God used the Holy Spirit to keep these men from error. And so the, the, the Bible calls itself the Word of God written by human instruments, human penmen, but every jot, every tittle, every point, every thought there by the Word of God, every word. Now again, the more liberal a man gets, uh, the more he will tell you that uh, the Bible is inspired in its thoughts, but not inspired in its details. The more liberal a man gets, he does not believe in verbal inspiration. I personally believe in verbal inspiration. The word verba, the Latin word means word. That is word by word inspiration. Every word as God gave it is inspired by the Holy Ghost. 
Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. Listen, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. Now, somebody says, the thoughts are inspired, not the words. Friends, you can't have thoughts without words any more than you could have mathematics without numbers. So when we call the Bible the Word of God, that speaks of its absolute perfection. I'll tell you something else it speaks of. It speaks of its wonderful character. Have you noticed that God has the same name for His Son as He does for His book? Have you ever noticed that God calls the Lord Jesus the Word of God and God calls His Bible the Word of God? For example, Jesus is called the Word of God in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 13 says of Jesus, His name is called, who knows the rest of it? The Word of God. His name is called the Word of God. Now, God's name for the Bible is what? Word of God. God's name for Jesus is Word of God. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is that the character of Jesus and the character of the Bible are linked together. If one is fallible, so is the other. If one is a fraud, so is the other. You see, the same name is used for the Word of the Lord and the Lord of that Word. And as you study the Bible, you will find out that Jesus, the living Word, honored the Bible, the spoken Word, and said the Scripture cannot be broken. But as you study the Bible, the written Word, you will find out that the written Word presents Jesus, the living Word, and the written Word makes Jesus its hero. Now, you cannot separate the two. I don't believe that the Bible is Jesus or Jesus is the Bible. They are not identical, but they are inseparable, and God has linked the character of the two. For example, I want you to see the character and the correlation between Christ, the living Word, and the Bible, the written Word. For example, both the Lord Jesus Christ in His humanity and the Bible have come from God. Listen to these scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How did we get the Bible? It was the supernatural work of the Holy Ghost. How did we get the living word? Galatians 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Both the living word and the written word have come from God. Both the living Word and the written Word live forever. I believe in eternity when we worship, we will use the Word of God set to music. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, But the Word of the Lord endureth, what's the next word? Forever. There'll never be a time when the Word of the Lord will not endure. 
The word of the Lord endureth forever. Now notice what the living word says of himself in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Forever there will be the written word. Forever there will be the living word. Both have come from God. Both live forever. Both are absolutely unchanging. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18 tells us that the written word cannot be changed. Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And Jesus Christ is also unchanging. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Both the written word and the living word are light for dark places. For example, uh, the, the written word. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Lord Jesus, who is the living word, says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. The written word is light. The living word is light. Both, of course, include the human element. The written word was written by men. The Lord Jesus was given birth by Mary. But the fact that Mary gave Jesus birth did not make Jesus imperfect. And the fact that men have written this book does not make this book imperfect. The same Holy Spirit that protected the Lord Jesus Christ from sin kept the human writers of the Scripture from including error in what they wrote. Now, I say that if you call the Bible, if you call the Bible what God calls it, the Word of God, that has something to do, my dear friend, with its absolute perfection. It has something to do with its wonderful character. But the third thing, and the thing that I want to really tighten the focus on tonight, is that it has something also to do with its authority. Its authority. It is the Word of God. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so, look at our text again. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God, absolutely perfect, linked to the Lord Jesus Christ in character. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, I want you to notice with me, therefore, in, in conclusion, finally but not immediately, I want you to notice three wonderful things about the Word of God. First of all, it is quick. If you have some translations, it may say that it is alive. The word quick means alive. It is zoan. That's the word we get zoology from or zoo from. That is that the Bible pulsates with life. This book is not like any other book. This book breathes. This book sings. This book weeps. It is alive in the power that it possesses. There is life in the Bible. You say, Adrian, you're stretching that a little bit. That is only print on paper. Yes. But my dear friend, the truth that is there, and I hope you believe this. If you don't believe it, you need to believe it. The truth that is here actually has life-imparting power. 
Listen to what Jesus Christ said and put this down and get it big and plain and straight in John chapter 6 and verse 63. And I want you to listen to it and I want you preacher boys to listen to it. Jesus says, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. That is, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And then Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak unto you. What he is saying is that the Bible pulsates with life. Friend, I've been preaching the Bible long enough now to see the power of the Word of God. It is alive. It quickens. It's alive because it presents a living person. You see, the Bible cradles Jesus. The Bible presents Jesus. The Bible properly prayed over, properly interpreted, properly preached causes Jesus Christ to step out of its pages. And Jesus is alive. Other books that are written about characters may be written about fictitious characters, are characters who have died, are characters who will die. But the Bible presents the Lord Jesus Christ who is the central personality of all of the Bible. And the Bible is quick. It is alive. It pulsates with power. But not only is the Bible quick, the Bible also says of itself in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, look at it, the Word of God is quick. And notice the next word, and powerful. Powerful. Now that word is energes. It's a combination of, of two words. It's like our word energy. That is, the Bible, not only does it have life, but because it has life, it has energy. That means it's a busy book, <laughs> that it works. Uh, you read other books, my dear friend, the Bible reads you. I mean, the Bible has incredible power. It is at work. God's Word works. It's not like any other book. Now, it's like a sword. You see, the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It does its work like a sword. For example, you think of the saints and think of the work that it does on you and the work that it does on me. It does exploratory surgery on us. That sharp sword. Has God ever done exploratory surgery on you? Has God ever taken the two-edged sword of the Word and just split you open? Listen, it does. You see, the Word of God divides. Look at it. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Now, what does that mean, dividing asunder between soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow? Well, he's making an application. If you had a sword here today and you were to come up to me, you could take that sword and slice me up, you could first of all open me up and find my joints and dismember my joints. And then if your knife was strong enough and sharp enough, you could split my bones and find my marrow. <laughs> Gruesome, isn't it? But that's, God says that's what His Word is like. Now what does the marrow represent? Well, the marrow is the heart of the bones the joints are the hinges. Now, what's he saying? He's saying 
that God gets down to your attitudes and your actions. The heart and the hinges. The, the joints and the marrow. Now, why does he mention that? Well, because of the same thing that he mentions, he says, it divides asunder between soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. Now, the marrow is like the spirit. The joints are like the soul. You say, what does that mean? Well, you see, dear friend, when God made you, God gave you a body, and inside that body is a soul and a spirit. Did you know that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the joints and the marrow, that's the body. The soul is the soul and the spirit is the spirit. It's all right there in Hebrews 4.12. Now, the Word of God is such a sharp instrument that if it were a literal sword, it could divide the joints and the marrow. Since it's a spiritual sword, it divides the soul and the spirit. Do you know the difference between the soul and the spirit? Well, I was preaching for a long time, and I didn't know the difference between the soul and the spirit. <laughs> I just thought that was the invisible part of a human being. You could call it his soul, you could call it his spirit, six of one, half a dozen of another. But the more I studied, the more I found out that the spirit is that which makes man absolutely unique and in the image of God. Plants have a body, but they don't have a soul. Animals have a body and a soul, but they don't have a spirit. Only man has a spirit because man is made in the image of God and God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How important it is, therefore, that we have an instrument that can divide between soul and spirit. So much of the trouble that we get into in the spiritual world is because we do not, are not able to divide between soul and spirit. And the reason we don't divide between soul and spirit is because we do not know the Word of God as we ought to know the Word of God. The difference between soul and spirit is the difference between that which is natural and that which is supernatural. Did you know that the problem in many churches is we just have too much soul? We don't have enough spirit. Nothing wrong with soul. But if that soul overpowers the spirit and the spirit doesn't come through, nobody's blessed. They may be entertained. They may be amazed, but they won't be blessed. But oh, my dear friend, if the spirit comes through, then they will be blessed. So many people don't know the difference. You see, the difference between soul and spirit is the difference between carnal emotions and spiritual experience. Did you know that you may shout and you may sing in the flesh? or you may shout and sing in the Spirit. You may be soulish, or you may be spiritual. So many people have a knowledge of the Bible, but it's a soulish knowledge of the Bible. It is a carnal knowledge rather than a spiritual knowledge. And, and uh, you know, uh, you can get in the flesh and study the Bible. I've met people who were in the flesh who were Bible students. I mean, they could split a theological hair into 16 equal divisions. Uh, but, but they were in the flesh. They used the Bible more like a club than a sword. They did not know, they do not know, they read the Bible more like a math book than a love story. They, they, they have a soulish approach to the Word of God. Did you know, dear friend, that uh, you can live a good life with soul power? 
The Bible calls it will worship. Rather than living in spiritual strength, you can live and walk the straight and narrow, at least outwardly, with soulish power. That's what the Pharisees did. So the Word of God, one of the things it does when you really get into it, it divides. It divides between soul and spirit. Oh, what a sharp instrument it is. But not only does it divide, <laughs> oh, my friend, it discerns. Look, once God gets in there, and once God takes this, this sword and God begins to slice you open, why does God separate soul from spirit? Why does God get into you and show you what you really are? Well, continue to read here. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, the word discerner here is the word uh, that we get our word critic from. The Word of God criticizes you. That's the reason some of us or some people don't like to read the Bible because when we're reading the Bible, the Bible reads us. My dear friend, when you come to the Bible, first of all, it'll just lay you open. It'll divide between soul and spirit. And once it lays you open, it'll tell you what you are. It is a discerner of what makes you tick. You see, the Bible divides us and then it discerns us. The Bible is your critic. We're not here to criticize the Bible. The Bible is here to criticize us. The Bible does exploratory surgery on the saints to search the saints. And then it does corrective surgery to sanctify the saints. Has the Bible ever cut anything out of your life? Oh, dear friend, that blessed blade will cut and remove and do radical corrective surgery on you. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in, uh, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 8, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to go into everlasting fire. Cut off your hand, he says. Cut off your foot. Do you think he was speaking literally? Do you think if you cut off your hand, it would make you any more spiritual? No. What our Lord is saying here is this. You let the Word of God cut out of your life those things that offend. What he's saying is that if there's something cancerous in you, some work of your hand, some place that you attend. Let the Holy Spirit of God remove it, that healing and health may begin. Thank God for the, the sharpness, the sharpness of this Word. But not only, dear friend, does it work with the saints, it works with the sinners. Let me show you how the Word of God is used as a sword with sinners. <laughs> and, and this thrills me. You could not be a preacher of the Word and preach as many times as I've preached without being thrilled at the power of the Word of God as it deals with sinners. Now, I have seen this book stab people. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's almost humorous. If it weren't so sweet and so blessed, it's almost humorous. The Word of God literally as a sword just stabs people. For example, reading in the Bible, you find where Simon Peter was taken before a council and they're the prosecutors, and he's on the defense, but he becomes the prosecuting attorney, and he begins to preach to them. 
and he's been on the defense, but now he gets on the offense. And the Bible says of this, of Simon Peter in Acts chapter 5 and verse 33, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I mean, Simon Peter sliced them. They were cut to the heart. What cut them? Peter's wit, his wisdom. No, my dear friend, that blessed blade. Another illustration. Sweet Stephen, that Bible-preaching, Bible-toting, Bible-quoting deacon who stood up in front of them all and preached one of the most glorious sermons that was ever preached. And the Bible says that when Stephen preached, this is what caused them to stone him. Listen to Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. That's the Word of God, friend. I've seen it happen so many times. Do you know when a man is preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, there are a lot of folks going to get cut? You know, don't get the idea that preaching is bad because people don't like it. That may be the best thing about it. I mean, the Bible says they were cut to the heart and they took counsel to slay Stephen. <laughs> I believe when folks come to church, something ought to happen to them. Uh, listen, dear friend, when, when the Word of God is preached in power, one of three things is going to happen to you. You're going to get mad, you're going to get sad, or you're going to get glad. I mean, it's going to cut you one way or the other. It's going to hurt you or heal you, but you're going to be mad or sad or glad. When you go out, you ought to be one way tonight. If you just go out and nothing happens, then nothing has happened up here. What if somebody, what if you're witnessing to somebody and they say, I don't believe the Word of God? Well, let's suppose you have a sword and you're in a fight and they say, I don't believe it'll cut. What do you do? Just stick them. Man says, I don't believe the Bible's Word of God. Doesn't really have a lot to do with it. My dear friend, you can take this book and cut people with it anyway. I am telling you that the Bible works with sinners in, in convicting power, and it, it, it is used in converting power. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost <laughs> when Simon Peter was preaching? And uh, there'd been a time when Simon Peter used another sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant and got everybody in trouble. What a mess he made. But on the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter took what the Bible calls the sword of the Spirit, and he used that blessed blade, and rather than stabbing people to death, 3,000 people were stabbed alive by the Word of God. And why? Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 says, And when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Again, the Word of God. They were stabbed by the Word of God. A young man stumbled through a snowstorm, <laughs> wanted to get out of the snow. He was just a boy, barely in his teens, went and sat in the back of a little church. There were so few people there that the minister didn't show up, and a layman came up to the pulpit and he hardly knew what to say, and that layman in that snowstorm just simply quoted a verse of Scripture that said, Look unto me, and be ye healed, all the ends of the earth. And that young boy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon looked and lived and became the greatest Baptist preacher who ever lived just by a layman taking that sword in his mouth and quoting the Word of God. Charles Colson is a personal friend of mine, the Watergate hatchet man. 
He was in that difficulty there after Watergate, and Charles Colson went to call on a friend of his named Tom Phillips. And Tom Phillips took this hardened White House insider and gave him the Word of God. And, and Charles Colson, who had been cynical and bitter and hard-bitten and conniving, gave his testimony later on as Tom Phillips had shared the Word of God. And he said, when I got back in my car, he said, the Spirit of God was so on me and the Word of God was so dealing. My eyes were so full of tears. He said, it was like I was swimming underwater. What was it that touched Charles Haddon Spurgeon? What was it that touched uh, uh, Charles Colson? What was it that touched a teenage boy named Adrian Rogers? What was it that touched you? What was it that touched those 3,000 on the day of Pentecost? Was it somebody's power of persuasion? No, it is the Word of God. Now, I'll tell you something else, dear friend. Not only does the Word of God have a convicting power and a converting power, it has a condemning power. Notice Jesus says it is a two-edged sword. The gospel is a savor of life unto life or death unto death. And if the Bible does not cut you to heal you, the Bible will cut you to kill you. My dear friend, one of these days you're going to come to the judgment and you're going to be judged by the Word of God. Jesus said that the very words that I speak, they're going to judge you in the last day. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said, uh, when you go to a house to preach, and uh, if you go to share my word and they won't hear you, Jesus said, shake the dust off your foot. Why? Jesus said, that dust will be used against them in the day of judgment. What does that mean? It means that one of these days you come to the judgment and you say, Oh God, have mercy upon me. Lord, I didn't have a chance. And God will say, Bring out exhibit A. And there'll be a little speck of dust. You'll say, What is that? And he'll say, That's the dust off the shoes of my servant, Adrian Rogers, who spoke to you. And God says, Even that dust will be used as a testimony against you. One other thing I want you to notice not only does the Word of God cut the saved. Not only does it cut the sinner, but I want you to see how it works against Satan himself. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in that battle, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Friend, when you go to do battle with Satan, don't forget your sword. The Word of God, it is quick and powerful. It works with the saint. It works with the sinner. It works with Satan. Three times Jesus ran Satan through with this Word of God. Three times Satan came to Jesus to tempt Jesus. And three times Jesus said to Satan, It is written. It is written. It is written. And three times Satan is defeated by the word of the writers of never argue with the devil. He's not worth it, first of all. And number two, you'll lose the argument. Never argue with the devil. Point him to the word of God and then step out of the argument. I mean, just use the word of God and therefore from then on his argument is with God himself and guess who the loser will be. Listen, the Word of God is your chief weapon against Satan. It is the sword of the Spirit. 
and you can go forth against Satan, and some of your battles are going to be fierce. And you better be able to say when Satan gets on your case, it is written. It is written. Martin Luther was given to nightmares. One night, he awakened, and he said he felt the presence of Satan in his room so much that he thought he was talking to the devil literally. He said the devil was at the foot of his bed, and he had a scroll, and that scroll was unrolled. And on there were all of the sins that Martin Luther had committed. And the devil who was accusing Martin Luther was reading them each one and pointing a finger of condemnation. Luther said he felt his soul slipping into hell, and then he remembered, he remembered the Word of God that says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And he quoted the Scripture to Satan himself and quoted that verse, and Satan or the presence or whatever was in Luther's mind left him that night as he was alone in that room. Friend, you better have, you had better have the Word of God at work with Satan. One of these days, one of these days, there's going to be the battle of Armageddon, and some of us feel it may not be very far away. Do you know the weapon that's going to be used at the battle of Armageddon? Well, old Antichrist may come with his jets and lasers and napalm and, and F-14s and 15s and 16s and whatever else he may have. Our side will have one weapon. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. It speaks of our Lord, and it says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And do you know what that sword is? It is the Word of God. Oh, my dear friend, thank God for this Word. Listen to me. Listen to your pastor. In these days, are you listening? You're going to go down if you don't know the Word of the Lord and the Lord of the Word. It is your sword. It is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Let's bow in prayer. May I help you tonight, first of all, as a child of God? If you have been lacking in your Bible study and lacking in your Bible obedience, would you tell the Lord right now tonight, Lord, I have sinned against you. For Lord, I've hardened my heart against you by not hearing your word. And Lord, I repent of that. And Lord, without getting legalistic about it, Lord, I just want to promise you that I'm going to get into your word to know it, to love it, to obey it in a way that I have not been doing. Help me to do it, Lord Jesus. Would you tell him that? Lord, I need to know your word. I need to know the Jesus that it presents. I need the power of the word in my life. And now those of you who may not yet have received the Lord Jesus, may I tell you that all of the Bible is written to get you to believe in Jesus and obey Jesus. Jesus says, search the scriptures, for these are they which testify of me. If you hear the Bible, read the Bible, and don't know Jesus, you've misheard, misread the Bible. Would you pray and ask Jesus Christ tonight to save you? 
Would you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Save me, Lord Jesus. Help me, Lord Jesus, not to be ashamed of you. Help me to obey you. Help me to make a public confession of my faith in you, to follow you wherever you lead me, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. If you would like to learn more about how you can know Jesus or deepen your relationship with Him, simply click the Discover Jesus link on our website, lwf.org. For a copy of this message or additional resources, visit our online store at lwf.org or call 1-800-274-5683. Thank you.